As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello, hello. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. I'm so happy that you're here. If this is your first time, welcome. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. We're going to dive into a really interesting topic today that I learned a ton about as I was researching and writing this episode. Now, before we dive into that, let's take a quick minute for a listener shout out. And this one goes out to L.K. Waglin. So that's L.K. Waglin. And this person says this. I found this podcast when I made a mid-pandemic career change leap and started taking prerequisites. The podcast brought A&P to life and kept me inspired to stay on this path of nursing. I immediately felt like I was part of the nursing education community, even when I was isolated and studying by myself. When I was accepted into an accelerated degree program, Crucial Concepts Bootcamp was a no-brainer. I followed the program and cruised into an intense ASBN with ease. No math anxiety, crushed every medication exam. Now I'm almost done with my degree and study sesh is the perfect review and refresher. I might not know what the next gen NCLEX has in store, but I can master the content with study sesh on repeat. I'm so proud to join this profession with you. I wish I could say I'm graduating from straight A nursing university, but I know I'll be part of the straight A nursing fam for the rest of my career. Wow. So thank you so much, LK, for submitting that feedback about the podcast. I'm so glad you're a listener, as well as going through boot camp and using study sesh and using those tools that I create for students that help you thrive. So thank you so, so very much. So today we're talking about twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, and this is a rare condition of pregnancy that affects identical twins and other multiple pregnancies when two or more fetuses share a placenta. Now, before we dive into this complex and very interesting topic, let's take a minute to review a few key terms. So the first term we're reviewing is chorion, and that is the outer membrane that aids in the formation of the placenta. And then we have the amnion, and that is the inner membrane that covers the fetus. Think of amniotic sac, right? You've heard that term before. And then we have monochorionic. And what this means is that multiple fetuses are sharing one placenta. You might hear monochorionic twins referred to. 
Now, how placental circulation is dispersed between the two twins can vary from one pregnancy to another. And when one twin is given more placental circulation, this can impact fetal growth and fetal development. Complications are more likely to occur in monochorionic pregnancies. And again, monochorionic twins are always identical. We'll be diving more into this as we go through the rest of this lesson on twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. The next term is dichorionic. This is when the placenta is not shared, though later in pregnancy, the two placentas can kind of fuse together and appear to be one, but there are two placentas. Dichorionic twins can be identical or they can be fraternal twins. Then we have monoamniotic. This is a single yolk sac that is shared by more than one fetus. And then diamniotic, you can probably guess what that means. Each twin has a separate yolk sac. And then two more terms, monozygotic and dizygotic. So monozygotic means the twins were derived from a single egg and a single sperm. This is also called identical twins. About a third of monozygotic twins have two placentas and about two thirds have a shared placenta. And then dizygotic means the twins derived from two eggs and two sperm. This is what we call fraternal twins. Each fetus has its own placenta and its own sac. And then there are three types of twin pregnancies. So dichorionic, diamniotic, so there's no shared placenta and no shared sac. The twins can be fraternal or identical. You may hear this referred to as di-di, so dichorionic, diamniotic. And then monochorionic, diamniotic, a shared placenta, but separate sacs. The twins here are identical. And then there's monochorionic, monoamniotic, shared placenta, shared sac. The twins are identical, and note that this is the rarest type and highest risk multiple pregnancy. Now let's talk a bit about the pathophysiology of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which you'll often see abbreviated simply as TTTS. So when the placenta is not divided evenly between monochorionic twins, the one with the most blood flow from the placenta is going to receive more nutrients and more oxygen. The condition is associated with the presence of vascular anastomoses deep in the placenta, which lead to altered blood flow. So these anastomoses can be artery to vein, they can be vein to vein, and they can be artery to artery. So artery to vein anastomoses can lead to more blood flowing to one fetus. And when this occurs, the donor twin experiences reduced blood flow, which leads to dehydration and less amniotic fluid. This triggers the RAS pathway in the donor twin, which leads to oliguria and oligohydramnios. Conversely, that recipient twin gets increased blood flow, more amniotic fluid, and even hypertension. With that hypervolemia, there's more cardiac stretch, there's increased ANP and BNP, the RAS pathway is inhibited, and this leads to polyuria and polyhydramnios. 
So the condition of TTTS usually develops between 16 and 26 weeks gestation and is evaluated using something called the Cantero staging system. So in stage one, so there's stage one to stage five, in stage one, blood flow is abnormal, resulting in one twin receiving more blood flow than the other, but the bladder of the donor twin is still visible. And as we talk more about twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, you'll see why that is so important. Okay, so that was stage one. In stage two, the bladder of the donor twin is no longer visible, but the Doppler assessment is not critically abnormal. And then in stage three, there is a critically abnormal Doppler waveforms present. And this could be an absence of blood flow through the umbilical artery at the end of that cardiac cycle. It could be pulsatile flow in the umbilical vein. Or there could be no flow or backward flow in the ductus venosus, which is a vein that runs through the liver. And then stage four. In stage four, there's critically abnormal Doppler waveforms and the recipient shows sense of fluid overload, such as ascites, pleural effusion, pericardial effusion, scalp edema, or fetal hydrops. And then stage five is when there is the death of one or both twins. So let's talk a bit now about the complications of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. So it has a pretty high mortality rate. If left untreated, it's about 80 to 90%. Now with treatment, the survival rate for both twins is about 50%, and the survival rate for one twin is up to 70%. Additionally, there are short and long-term neurological complications in about 3 to 15% of surviving children. This can include things like cerebral palsy, cerebral injury, blindness, deafness, and neurodevelopmental impairment. Potential complications for the donor twin, the one who's not getting all that excess blood flow, include a small or absent bladder, oligohydramnios, growth restriction, that absent in diastolic flow in the umbilical artery, and vascular hypertrophy, which can lead to heart failure and arrhythmias. And then potential complications for the recipient twin include cardiomegaly and heart failure, enlarged bladder, polyhydramnios, fetal ascites, which is the abnormal fluid collection in that peritoneal cavity, or hydrops fatalis, you may hear it called fetal hydrops or just hydrops. This is an abnormal collection of fluid in two or more body cavities. It's a very serious condition. Another complication is diastolic dysfunction, atrioventricular valve insufficiency, and pulmonary stenosis or pulmonary atresia. And then what about maternal complications? There's quite a few there as well. So these include shortened cervix, premature rupture of membranes, preterm labor, mirroring syndrome, which is a rare but kind of interesting condition. It's a rare development of maternal edema in the presence of that fetal hydrops or hydrops fatalis, as it's called. And then there's also 
Studies show increased prevalence of anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress, and other psychological issues. It's a really tough condition to be dealing with. So now that you have kind of a baseline understanding of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, let's dive into the nursing implications, and we'll go through that using the straight-A nursing latte method. So we'll start with the letter L. How does the patient look? What are the signs and symptoms? So maternal signs and symptoms can include rapid weight gain, edema, a sudden increase in fatigue, increased abdominal pressure, increased back pressure, difficulty sleeping, increased uterine size, and preterm contractions. And then on the ultrasound, this is going to show polyhydramnios, so too much amniotic fluid, in the recipient's sac, and oligohydramnios for that donor, in that donor's sac. You'll also see discordant bladder sizes, meaning they're not equal, and one fetus being larger than the other. And then at birth, the donor infant is typically smaller pale, and anemic, while the recipient infant is larger, is red, and can have hypertension. When the twins are of varying sizes, this is called discordant twins. Okay, so moving on to the next letter in the latte method, which is an A for how do you assess the patient? So nursing assessments are mainly geared toward fetal monitoring, as well as some key maternal assessments. So you want to assess for maternal comfort. They could have pain from contractions. There could be discomfort from that increased pressure on their back or on the abdomen. They may have difficulty breathing due to increased uterine size and pressure. You'll also assess for cervical dilation and any amniotic fluid leakage that could be occurring. Monitor the CBC, the CRP, which is the C-reactive protein, and the ESR, which is erythrocyte sedimentation rate. These can all show signs of infection, and you'll especially be doing this if there is some kind of intervention done that could put the mother at risk for infection. You will assess the pH of any leaked fluids to determine if they are amniotic fluid or possibly something else. And then monitor for signs of preeclampsia, which can occur in cases of maternal mirror syndrome. So you're watching for hypertension, vomiting, protein in the urine, and increased edema, including pulmonary edema. You'll also monitor for signs of infection, including temperature, elevated heart rate, and abnormal labs, like I just mentioned. And you also want to assess for any psychosocial needs. Would this patient benefit from a social worker, spiritual care, community support, and what coping techniques might they be lacking? Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. 
Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. All right, let's move on to the next letter in the latte method, which is a T for tests. What tests are conducted for twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome? So screening ultrasounds are conducted I think it's every two weeks, it's pretty frequent in monochorionic multiple pregnancies. And the key things the MD is looking for are amniotic fluid imbalances, which would be that oligohydramnios and that polyhydramnios and that discordant fetal growth. And those screening ultrasounds start occurring around 16 weeks. And then Doppler studies assess placental anastomoses as well as the vessels evaluated in that quinterno staging or quinterno staging. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. It's one of those. So that would be looking at the ductus venosus, the umbilical artery, and the umbilical vein. So Doppler studies for that. And then a fetal echocardiogram may be conducted to determine the severity of heart failure in the recipient twin. And yes, a fetus can have heart failure. We may do fetal blood sampling to assess for fetal anemia. And then after the birth, the twins will undergo, of course, routine newborn assessments and also be evaluated for any specific complication the child may have. So now let's move on to the next letter in the latte method, which is another T, and that is for treatments. So what treatments will be provided? So treatments for TTTS will vary depending on what stage and how severe the symptoms are. So in that stage one, invasive treatment may not be needed if there are no symptoms and there's adequate cervical length. The twins will definitely be monitored very closely, and that includes weekly assessment of amniotic fluid, fetal growth assessments about every three to four weeks, Doppler blood flow studies, these are added on at that 16-week mark, and then starting at 30 weeks, biophysical profile assessments will be conducted weekly, and then a scheduled delivery at 34 to 37 weeks gestation in the absence of complications that may necessitate an earlier delivery. About 75% of those, maybe over 75% of those diagnosed in stage one may stay stable without invasive procedures. Now, in cases of stage one twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, where the mother is symptomatic, maybe having preterm contractions, experiencing respiratory difficulty, or has a short cervix due to polyhydramnios. The treatment is fetoscopic laser ablation, also called fetal laser photocoagulation. And we'll talk about this more in just a moment. In some cases, amnioreduction may be utilized to relieve pressure in the uterus and relieve the maternal symptoms. And then in stage two, three, and four, the intervention for TTTS is fetal laser photocoagulation of the placental anastomoses between 16 and 26 weeks, possibly beyond at some service centers and studies are ongoing in this area. 
So between 16 and 26 weeks, that intervention is fetal laser photocoagulation. And then after 26 weeks, amnioreduction may be utilized as laser photocoagulation is more difficult at this time. And then stage five, when one twin dies, the other remains at risk for neurological impairment and death. The surviving fetus will undergo additional testing, including Doppler blood flow studies of the middle cerebral artery, fetal blood sampling to assess for anemia, ultrasound examination every three to four weeks to monitor development, and even MRI to detect intracranial injury. In cases where the surviving twin has anemia, an in-utero blood transfusion may be utilized. So let's talk a little bit about fetal laser photocoagulation. I mentioned that a moment ago. Let's talk about it here. So in this procedure, a laser is inserted through a thin tube called a fetoscope and guided into the uterus where it is used to ablate blood vessels of the placenta. And the goal is to eliminate that imbalanced blood flow and restore volume status between the fetuses. It is usually conducted as an outpatient procedure using local anesthesia. In cases where the fetus is beyond 24 weeks gestation, corticosteroids are administered to promote lung maturity in case of a preterm birth. In addition to preterm birth, other complications of this procedure include premature rupture of membranes, intraamniotic bleeding, intertwin membrane rupture, and fetal demise, unfortunately, and a condition called TAPS. It stands for Twin Anemia Polycythemia Sequence. It's TAPS. And this is a condition where the donor has anemia and the recipient twin has polycythemia. So there are two other treatments for twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome that we haven't mentioned yet, and those include amniotic septostomy, and selective reduction. So amniotic septostomy is a procedure where the intertwin membrane is perforated to allow for equalization of amniotic fluid volume. A potential very serious complication of this procedure is the accidental creation of too large of an opening leading to umbilical cord entanglement. And then selective reduction may be considered in cases where both fetuses are at risk and one has significant complications with a low chance of survival. And then our final letter in the latte method is E, how do you educate the patient and the family about TTTS? So as you can probably imagine, there's a ton of education that goes into this. Patients experiencing this condition will need a lot of education about the prognosis of the condition. And that's going to be more the physician's job, but I'm just letting you know the kinds of things they'll need education about, the prognosis, the treatments that are being considered or conducted, and the long-term complications. In addition to providing 
appropriate education about all of that as appropriate for a nurse to do. You're also going to provide education about the assessments that you're conducting, the interventions that you are performing. Plus, you want to make sure the patient understands that delivery is recommended between 34 and 37 weeks, and this will definitely be something that MD will talk about, but they may come to you with questions. This will depend on the severity of the condition and any complications that are present or any maternal symptoms, for example. Make sure your patient understands that the incidence of preterm birth is high and that MD will definitely be talking to them about this, but let the patient know that the babies are likely going to need to spend some time in the NICU while they continue to grow, and this is not unexpected. That can be really anxiety-producing for families to realize their babies are going to be in the NICU. Ensure the mother and her partner understand the signs of preterm labor and when to seek medical attention. These can include regular contractions that increase in frequency, that increase in intensity, a change in vaginal discharge, a constant backache, pelvic pressure, and premature rupture of membranes. You want to educate the patient on the importance of attending all prenatal appointments. And as you can probably imagine from all the things we talked about, there can be a lot of appointments. Help the parents find resources and community support as needed. And women with multiple pregnancies are advised to see their provider. And by multiple pregnancies, I mean they're pregnant with multiples, not that they've been pregnant more than one time. So pregnant with multiples are advised to see their provider if they gain more than about seven pounds in a week, have a sudden increase in fatigue, have a sudden increase in abdominal pressure or lower back pressure. And those parameters can, of course, vary from person to person and what the MD states for their patient to do. And then you also want to ensure that the patient understands they should get additional calories, additional protein, additional nutrients, basically throughout the day to support the growth and development of multiple fetuses. And there you have it. There is your brief introduction to twin to twin transfusion syndrome. I hope to see you back here next week. We're diving into Guillain-Barre next week. So that's really interesting. So make sure you don't miss that. And to make sure you don't miss it, just make sure that you're following the show or subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you are using to access this podcast. So if you're curious what the listener shout out person was referring to from the beginning of this episode, they were talking about Crucial Concepts Bootcamp and Study Sesh that helped them thrive in their accelerated nursing program and get through that with a lot less stress. So Crucial Concepts Bootcamp is my nursing school prep course. It's perfect for incoming students, but I've had many students enroll after they've done a semester or two. Maybe things aren't going so great and they need a reset. They need to turn things around. They need that foundation, and then they move forward with a lot more success. And then Study Sesh is a podcast, much like this one, where I do a lot of pod quizzes. We do some drills. There's a bit of case studies and deep dive, what I call power hour sessions. And you can learn more about both of those by going to straightanursingstudent.com and then just click on courses in that top menu bar and you'll go to a page with information about all of those. So again, I will see you back here next week. Have a great week. See you soon. Bye for now. 
This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.